You're listening to the Bottom Line Podcast where those living with or beyond bowel cancer as well as health professionals involved in bowel cancer treatment and care share their inspirational stories and lived experiences with host and bowel cancer survivor, Stephanie. Today's guest is Michael Sheargold, passionate racing driver, and he was recently diagnosed with stage three bowel cancer at 36. Michael reached out immediately after his diagnosis and just before his surgery to set up a fundraising page with us. I've never seen anyone mobilise a group so quickly. In between appointments, he had the livery designed, approved, the page set up and people ready to fundraise. And we are so very appreciative for his dollars, which will go towards much needed resources and support for people affected by bowel cancer. Michael, thanks so much for joining me on the Bottom Line podcast today. Thanks, Steph. Absolute pleasure. So, Michael, as I just said, you were diagnosed this year and you're just 36, but you have racing to thank for your diagnosis. Can you talk us through how you were diagnosed with bowel cancer? Yeah. So, as part of racing, you need to get a racing license. And for my level of license in the racing I do, it requires an annual medical. So, I did that medical in February and got a call from the, the doc and she said, oh, your iron levels are very low. We should check it out. We know you don't have a you know, pre-existing issue with iron absorption because we've got previous bloods and all the rest of it. So, very thankfully, she was attentive and put me in for a colonoscopy and endoscopy. And so, I put that off for a little bit, not too long, but I had as well. We do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, that was just because there was races booked in and a bunch of other travel and stuff. So, I kind of got that out of the way. And so, that was February, and then in May. I went into the colonoscopy and yeah, it all kicked off from there. So yeah, I've said to my wife a couple of times that, you know, racing saved my life and I'm not sure she's convinced just yet, but I'm going to try to get there. <laughs> How long are you going to keep perpetuating that? <laughs> oh, until it gets traction maybe or yeah, until I get told to stop. <laughs> oh, So was bowel cancer on your radar? Had the GP discussed bowel cancer or was she just concerned about iron levels and wanted to check it out? I guess she maybe had an idea of like blood loss or, you know, and she ran through things with me on the phone. Are you feeling tired? I don't know, not really. Isn't everyone? I've got three young kids. I run a business, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, are you, are you passing blood? I don't, don't think so. At that time, I was pretty asymptomatic. So I was, you know, answering honestly, and I didn't think I was. But I guess she thought that there could be something in the gut that was, you know, the timing that was attributing to it. And, um, yeah, I didn't have a family history, so no, it wasn't on the radar at all. So were you shocked when your gastro told you that it was bowel cancer? Yeah, it was actually funny. Like, funny. The gastro was not so direct, so we had to kind of <laughs> ask her, like, you mean I've got cancer? I think she was just trying to have a present bedside matter, but it was a little bit obtuse and didn't kind of figure it out. But, yeah, once she said yes, that's what I'm saying is that you have bowel cancer yeah it was like what the hell it's interesting isn't it that that communication you have specialists that are incredibly direct and just hit you over the head with it then you have others i was the same when i was diagnosed they were a little bit softer and i had to say have i got cancer (laughs) yeah yeah i'm a bit more of the we call it spade of bloody shovel so just give it to me and we can deal with it but as i said she was she was great and yeah it was just her i guess trying to soften the blow potentially but yeah you know eventually figured out what she was saying and, and what the situation was. And yeah, yeah, there was a lot to, lot to process. 
Yeah, so, you know, 36, we know at Bowel Cancer Australia that you're never too young for bowel cancer and between the ages of 25 and 44, it's the deadliest cancer. But talk us through your diagnosis and what you've been through in the last few months because not only have you had the cancer diagnosis and we'll get to the racing bit in a moment, but it's been a fairly full-on few months, hasn't it? Yeah, so I guess, like, you know, the first thing that went through it is, like, kids and, like, how do you tell your kids you've got cancer? So, yeah, thankfully. How old are they, Michael? Three, five, and seven. Yeah, so little. Yeah, yeah. So I get a little bit emotional when I think about them, but, yeah, they're, like. That's what the impact is, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah, You know, yeah. it's your family. Fortunately, like, the whole journey and the process has, for me, been quite fortunate in terms of, the outcome now and everything. So the conversations got easier and easier with them as the process went. My three-year-old doesn't know what's going on, but the <laughs> five and the seven-year-old, I'm very glad that we kind of brought them into the loop early on so that they understand about now with the chemo and the pump pack that's hooked up for days and stuff. They, they understand that they're not kind of in the dark. And so I'm glad we kind of did that. And then, yeah, so yeah, made diagnosis three weeks later, hemicolectomy surgery, and then seven weeks later, I was racing at SMP and then a week or so after that, you have to, but we recommend that you consider going and doing chemo and that was when we got the lab results back from the surgery and found out it was stage three and it had moved into a few lymph nodes and all the rest of it. And so, yeah, now we're doing the, the chemo thing and that caught the way through that and getting, getting the hang of the you know, ups and downs of that process. So. <laughs> Yeah. We caught up in Sydney just recently and it, it is, you know, you're at the top end and you think, oh, I can do this, and it just progressively gets more difficult as time goes by. But it's an insurance policy, isn't it? Yeah, like, again, you don't feel fortunate when you get told you've got bowel cancer, but hearing other people's stories and seeing other people's journeys, I can appreciate that mine is pretty, yeah, there's lots of things to be thankful for relative to other other people so it hadn't spread to other organs even though it was stage three the belief now is that it's all been removed and the chemo is just insurance policy to increase the odds of it not coming back so yeah lots of things to be grateful for and you know heard people's stories about you know they had to have to do chemo beforehand or bowel obstructions and all those kinds of things so yeah i've been lucky and the, the surgery was good my physical recovery was good um so yeah, still try to stay positive and, and appreciate the things. And even though, you know, it's not ideal, there are things. That, there's lots of people out there that are not quite tough with mine. So that's a lovely segue because racing for you is a real passion. Yep. And you race in the GT World Challenge Australia, is that right? Yes, that's correct. That's right. <laughs> and you managed to get back behind the wheel, as you said before, after surgery, which was pretty remarkable. And then I think you also did another race after one round of chemo. How important was it for you to get back to racing? Racing is one aspect, but it's just been important for me to try and be as normal as possible and like listen to what my body's going through, but at the same time kind of push myself to do things that I think I'm up to and try and, yeah, it's enjoyable and yeah, it's physically taxing, but, yeah, even with the chemo now, I'm trying to, every day that I feel I can, I'll get out and exercise or bike ride or whatever. So, yeah, just trying to be as normal as possible when I feel feel good. And, yeah, it's interesting. My surgeon, Dr. Ip, he's been great. 
he's a bit of a car guy as well. So when we had the initial consultation and he was asking about the story and it was like, oh, racing license, blah, blah, blah. He was very professional and didn't say anything. But at the end of it, he, his ears must have picked up. He's like, oh, you said car racing. Like, what cars do you race? And like, oh, I've got a little Renault that I take around SMP and, and it m- might have helped convincing to get the sign up to go go racing um, after the surgery. I was going to ask you about that because you had to get his sign off to race because, uh, you know, racing is a very physical sport. It may not seem it, but it is a very physical sport, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, like, you know, some big G-forces in there and, like, you know, not just when you're racing, like, you know, accidents happen and if you're going to have an accident, you don't want to be in a position where you're going to be predisposed to having a very bad outcome. So, no, I did a lot of work in terms of rehab and physical rehab and kept an exercise journal and everything. So um, I was able to that to him and um, he started off saying, you know, eight weeks, I don't think you'll be racing at seven weeks and we're comfortable. And then a kind of five weeks, I was like, well, if you're doing those things and you keep up with it, I don't see why not. So yeah, we were able to um, put the work in and convince him that In a little while, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about your racing because I think that'll be of interest to some of our audience. But what was different about racing after your diagnosis? Was there anything different? Did you do anything differently? I did a couple of PVs and made some good good improvements, which was kind (laughs) of cool. Yeah, I don't know whether like mentally there was a bit of like a YOLO thing that came over me and I was like, well, stop it, let's Let's have a crack. Because <laughs> you do. It, it is a bit of a juncture. It's a pivot point we wish sometimes we didn't have. Yeah. But if you are faced with it, then tackle it head on. I know I did. I made some big life changes. Yeah, yeah. So you have a different perspective after you've been diagnosed, don't you? Yeah, yeah. There may have been a, a few mental barriers that were unlocked and just like, well, what the hell, we can make it through this. Let's just give this a crack and see you know, what's the worst that can happen. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, no, like there was some, I probably did approach it a little bit different mentally and yeah, it has unlocked a little bit of performance, strangely enough. <laughs> Sometimes when you, yes, lift some of those barriers, you don't have those restraints around you. Yeah, yeah. So you, I mean, we, as I said in the opening, we're so very fortunate. You came to us, you and Ram Motorsport set about raising some funds and awareness for Bowel Cancer Australia. Your livery on the car carried the Bowel Cancer Australia branding. Why was this important to you? I mean, it's incredibly fabulous for us at Bowel Cancer Australia and we're so appreciative, but why was that important for you to do? I'm in a pretty fortunate situation. Like I, I run a successful family business and I think just in general situations when things happen, I just get motivated. It's probably my personality, just like, you know, what can I do to make something positive out of this? And again, like, Motor racing platform is a great platform to raise awareness because we do get the car televised and eyes on there. And there's another motorsport connection with even getting in contact with Bow Cancer Australia, whereby one of the other drivers who races with the team that runs my cars, GWR Australia, a guy by the name Steve Champion, we do a bit of charity work and I was researching Bow Cancer charities and noticed that his business was the registered address for one of the Bow Cancer charities that you guys now, I know subsequently emerged with, so he put me in touch with your medical director, Dr. Houston. Ah, uh, yes, the that's, wonderful Graham. <laughs> yeah, so that's who trained my surgeon. <laughs> so that's kind of how that connection happened. And, um, yeah, it was just what can we do out of this crappy situation to do something positive and bring some, some good and maybe a bit of a distraction for myself as well, you know, with everything going on. So, yeah. 
boy, we turned it around quick. And I used to work in media, <laughs> so we used to turn things around pretty quickly. But <laughs> I know we had lots of conversations in a in, you know a very short period of time. Well, I think there was Red Apple Day, and I wanted to get yes. the car launched on Red Apple Day for you guys and for us because that was a cool thing. And you know, that was two days after my surgery, so sure, I was driving my wife crazy there. Like I'm just kind of <laughs> day like hours, maybe maybe. 12 hours out of surgery, get it open a laptop and chase things down and make sure it's not going to happen. So. And happen it did. And I know how much you raised, which was phenomenal, but, you know, you you raised in excess of what you thought you were going to raise. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so we kind of did some quick maths in my head about some business associates and, and good friends and stuff that I'd supported and, and kind of said, oh, you know, I think 100K is a pretty a good target but achievable. And, yeah, we hit that, I think, about a week Mm. after launching so that was amazing and then we upped it to 150 with a bit of nudging and yeah a bit of bit of promotion as well through supercars and arg and, and everything and and the, the category gt law challenge was great putting the campaign across all the cars in one of the races we were able to get to that 150 target i think we nudged a little bit over i can't remember what the official 150 158 125 but who's counting yeah, who's counting exactly? Yeah. <laughs> and I think got some late mail yesterday that there might be another pretty decent donation still coming, so we might be able to pop that up a bit higher. So, oh, yeah, watch the pace. We were blown away, especially because it was in such a short period of time. But as you said, just getting that promotion and promotion to men too. Not that motorsports just about men, but younger men and men often don't want to be proactive around their health, yeah. do they? Have you, you know, and this was a lovely vehicle to also talk about awareness because I know you did some interviews as well. Yeah, and I think that's one of the cool things about this is it probably helped reach an audience potentially that needed to be reached but was maybe reticent to hear the message or, or you know, to act on things that they maybe should be acting on. So, yeah. I guess to bring that together with fast cars and racing is a good opportunity to reach that kind of target market if you want to use that word, you know, young guys or, or people in that kind of age bracket. So I was fortunate to do a couple of interviews with yeah, Chad Naylon and Greg Rust that kind of got televised to spread that awareness message as, as much as just the funds raised. And I've had lots of people close to me act on my situation and say, I booked myself into that colonoscopy or... I'm going to go get my bloods done because I'm 35 and I haven't seen a doctor for five or 10 years. And I mean, these are people kind of close to me saying that, but I'm hoping that there may be people out there that might have seen the car or, you know, been at the racetrack and, and maybe thought about getting that checkup or doing something they've been putting off. Absolutely. And I think it's been considered an old man's disease, but that is changing that, you know, bowel cancer can affect anyone at any age and it's about knowing the symptoms yeah i had a really cool moment at queensland raceway at the second round after the chemo where a lady was at the racetrack and i don't think she knew anything about the car but she'd had stage four cancer so she was there and saw the car and she's like well that's my car and she came up after the race found the mechanics she came and got me and i had a great chat with her and heard her story and was able to kind of share my story and yeah, it was like one of those kind of cool moments that kind of came from the car. And yeah, yeah, don't know exactly how old she was. She could have been my age or a little bit younger, but again, like anyone, any age. 
Yes, it can can affect you at any point. So where are you at now? I think you've had your third round this week. Is that right? And how are you coping, Michael? Yeah, like we're getting there. I think after the first round, I kind of thought it was going to be a walk in the park and <laughs> a bit more in the trenches now and kind of the, the realisation is set in. So, no, I'm just getting used to the cycles of when I'm feeling good and not feeling good. Thankfully, it seems to be fairly consistent, so I'm able to plan around that. And, yeah. 45% of the way there, so we'll just keep ticking them off and then, uh, you know, it'll all be in the rearview mirror soon enough. You got anything planned for the end? Not specifically. Maybe when we get closer, we can start to think about that. But, yeah, no, not at this stage. Any more races? If it stays as it is and I can convince uh, my oncologist to maybe shift a, a cycle a few days to, to fit it in, we, we might be able to get get that last race done for the year. Something to look forward to is always nice, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the priority is getting the chemo done and getting the health sorted out. But uh, if, if there's an option to to do that, I mean, I shifted my port insertion to, to go racing and <laughs> <laughs> left out of chemo and a few other bits and pieces. So, yeah, if we can if we can make it work and I'm feeling up to it, then we'll do that. But if it's, if it's not going to work, then there's always next year. I know when we caught up, you were talking about the port and putting it in because with the harness in the car, it was going to rub against it. Where did it end up and didn't you have to change your harness? Yeah, yeah. So we have to wear what's called a head and neck restraint device and that kind of goes over your neck. I actually brought that to the hospital with me. That'd be a unique situation for the doctor putting in the yes, port. Yes, <laughs> I don't know that he had that request before, but to, like he, he he marked it up with a texter and said, I'll try and move it over as far as he could. And, of course, it ended up just being in the absolute wrong spot. So I rocked up to the racetrack after having it put in and put it on and put the belts on and I couldn't turn the wheel. But fortunately, there's another type of device that kind of is more strapped around your shoulders and what have you, but still it has the same effect and is you know, all certified and everything. So managed to get a hold of one of those and figured out that that gave me the movement I needed to get the turn the wheel and do what it needs to do. So one of the boys madly rushed to the closest race store to, to pick one up and then we're able to <laughs> Lucky they had it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's about being flexible, isn't it, and yeah, yeah. agile in the moment. My granddad used to say, there's this way, that way, and another way. You just got to figure it out. So. <laughs> Great advice from your grandfather. Yeah. So we, we touched on your young family, and I know you get emotional around that. I know I did as well. How's it impacted them and your wife as well? Yeah, like I think it's probably like hard for the partners because they see you going through stuff and they can't do yeah. it. When you feel the crap after the chemo, there's nothing anyone can really do. So you're kind of just lying on the couch, not wanting to do much, and they see they're not feeling great. That kind of impacts them, and they're running around with doctors and what have you. But yeah, no, they've been amazingly supportive, and I hope it hasn't impacted them too much. And I think the best thing about not impacting them too much is the positive outlook from here. So. Yeah, even though there's a journey to go with the chemo and it's not the most fun process, it's all about having a better, good outcome, not about trying to still fight another tumour or, or some other cancer that's in, in my system. So, yeah, everyone's doing well and everyone's kind of yeah. happy that come January, February next year, we can all kind of forget about it. Not forget about it, but I'll have to be No, but move forward. Stuff, but move forward, move forward yeah. with, a, with a very positive outcome and, just becomes like a blip on the radar, not something hopefully that we have to worry about too much you know, in the years to come. 
which is a reason why you want to catch bowel cancer early. It's, you know, it's so important. Yeah. What form of allied health or support have you been receiving? You know, have you seen nutritionists or psychologists through this process? No, I haven't had too much kind of, like I probably, the one kind of extra support I've had was a very good friend of mine who's a rehab physio and she was on maternity leave and she very kindly came down and put me through my paces and probably helped, helped me convince Dr. Rip that I was fit enough to go racing six or seven weeks after surgery. So, yes, shout out to Rach for helping me get through that. But, yeah, other than that, I've just been kind of plugging away and, and getting through it. You've talked about being a very positive person and looking at the positive sides. How's your mental space been through this process? I think after the surgery and everything went well, it's been easy or, you know, because the outlook has been good, it's been kind of easier to wear those rose-colored glasses. But, you know, you have your down moments. I'll probably get emotional in a second, but, you know, in hospital I had a thing where I was passing a bit of blood and no one was pushing the panic buttons, but the nurses and the, the surgical registrar kind of came and everyone kind of raised their eyebrows. And my dad actually passed away from surgical complications following heart surgery. So oh. at that time I was kind of like, it was a bit close to home and I was kind of freaking out a little bit. But, you know, again, Dr. Rip came in at like 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning, I think after he finished his rounds of surgery or something, he was still in the hospital, had a good chat to me and said, you know, I'm not worried. I think it's just, you know, he joins kind of, sorted themselves out and stuff, we'll keep an eye on it, but I'm not worried. And, you know, took extra blood tests and made sure that the iron and that was all kind of good and stuff. So, yeah, that was a kind of a, a, a down moment. And then, you know, got, got the flu during one cycle of chemo and, you know, had, to, had the temperature and had to go to hospital. And five hours later, they say, you just got the flu, come back if you start vomiting. And you're like, okay, that's great. My day's gone, but I feel crap. And so... Yeah, there's, there's definitely like moments where you've got to put yourself up on the bootstraps and kind of tell yourself you get through it. But, yeah, by and large, again, I know that there's people out there that have the surgery and have a very difficult journey post that. And I'm lucky that my physical recovery from the surgery has been great. And, yeah, keep myself fun, but we'll get through it. Well, you're looking fit and well. Cancer chemo is a great recipe for weight loss, so about <laughs> 20 kilos since this time last year, so... Wow. Maybe we have some positive, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You've got to look at the upside of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Michael, before we go and I ask my questions, I just want to ask a little bit about racing. What age were you when you started racing? So I came to it pretty late, probably 31. Okay. Yeah. I've been doing it about five years. So yeah, about 31. And why, what ignited this passion for racing? So as everyone does with Mary kid in primary school like not everyone but maybe every boy some girls hopefully you know what it would have been you grow up i think it's like a race car driver and that's how i played saxophone or a professional <laughs> saxophonist so there are two <laughs> kind of diametrically opposed options but so there's always that kind of interest and then i remember going to the one of the last adelaide f1 races with my dad and um my mom and just like you know, the sound and the noise and the, you know, the atmosphere and everything kind of sunk in. I didn't, we didn't really go to too many races after that. But as the opportunities came with the, with the business, I kind of said, oh, you know, after we finished building our house, I got a bit more time and might look into getting a race car. And then, yeah, started off doing a few track days and then 
border kind of production race car, which for those who don't know what that means, it means it's a road car. It's been turned into a race car and then kind of went from that to factory built race cars and then the GT3 race cars. So it was a slippery slope once I got started. <laughs> and I'm sure your wife's thinking, all those things I could use that money for. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, finally, before we leave, I like to ask my guests to highlight the three key points that they want people to take from the podcast. What would yours be? If you're a young guy, I use that term kind of loosely, you know. Anything under 50s, yeah. Anything under 50, (laughs) you've got friends, you've got family, you've got kids. If you think something's wrong, go and get it checked out. And even if you're not, just ask your GP for a blood test. I reckon everyone should go and get a blood test, you know, once a year, once every two years, cholesterol, iron. You don't never know what it's going to pick up and it's just a great way to kind of keep track of your general health and, and make sure you're going to be around as long as you can for you know, your loved ones. And I guess just, yeah, just try and stay positive through it. Like, and then, like, yeah, it's been helpful, like the connection with Bowel Cancer Australia and seeing other people's stories and connecting with people who have also been through it as helpful as well so yeah don't be afraid to reach out and yeah there's organizations that are there that offer support and then you you just see those other people that have beaten it or doing it worse than you are and you take inspiration from that so yeah reach out and, and kind of get those connections and, and it all kind of helps you get through it yeah it's like finding your tribe isn't it yeah exactly yeah. exactly michael thank you so much for chatting to us today but more importantly thank you for everything you've done in helping us raise awareness and raising funds we are so appreciative and i'm so glad that you are on your journey and there's light at the end of the tunnel thank you great thanks Stephen. my absolute pleasure Thank you so much for listening to the Bottom Line podcast. To find out more about bowel cancer or for support or simply to donate, please go to bowelcanceraustralia.org.